Emerald podcast series. Research that makes a difference. Welcome to the Emerald podcast series. In this series, we speak to experts from around the globe using research to create real impact. In each episode, we explore the role of research within the context of the environmental, economic, social and political challenges facing our society and look at the ways in which research, policy and practice interact to affect communities around the world. We're your hosts. I'm Daniel Ridge. I'm Helen Bedo, and we are publishers at Emerald Publishing. Universities have been undergoing a time of transformation, change and uncertainty uh, even before COVID-19. They've been under increasing pressure to demonstrate their value. And now that change and that uncertainty has only accelerated because of COVID-19. Today, we're going to consider how universities can adapt and function in this new environment. We'll speak to Asha Ospilioski from the University of Brighton Business School, an economic sociologist researching the role and function of higher education. Asher, together with Professor Tom Borner and Dr. Linda Heath, are authors of the new book, The Fully Functioning University. Welcome, Asher, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Helen. It's really good to be here today and to have a chance to talk with you. Your book outlines a clear vision of what universities need to focus on to be fully functioning. Can you explain a bit more about what a fully functioning university is? Yes, I think it's an explanation that draws a bit on history because the university is a long-standing institution that has changed over time and over time has served different purposes. And so when I talk about the fully functioning university, it's with the, the light of a thousand years of history behind us. The idea that a university serves three quite distinct missions, that it contributes to the advancement of knowledge that it provides a higher education for students and that it serves society in which it is a part. So these three different parts, sometimes known as the tripartite mission, complement each other and at different times in the history have been of different importance. Our concept of the fully functioning university now is that those three parts serve each other and work together. And why haven't universities been, been reaching this? Well, in part, that is. That why haven't universities been reaching the fully functioning university ideal or the model that we have of balance is, is in part because universities have a long history and have served different purposes at different points in their history. And so at different stages of the development of the university, different parts of the mission or the function have been of different importance. So for a long time in the early years of the university in Europe, the service of the church developing a clerical class, literally clerical class of those equipped with the primary vocational skill of the age, which was fluent Latin. Being able to use Latin was once the most vocational outcome a university could offer. And it was in many respects, what universities were about for a long time. So service to developing a, a useful skill in students, as we would now think of them, was the primary function. At other points, the university has served other functions as its primary service. And, and so, for example, in the early half of the 20th century, when we saw the development of the great sort of scientific institutions, the advancement of knowledge and the mission 
to research and record and disseminate knowledge was seen as of greater importance. So when we look at the university now, we're seeing a university that has these different facets that can complement each other. And our aspiration is that this model, the fully functioning university, helps those who are trying to decide what universities can do, what their value is and what they should be doing, can weigh up these different elements and see how they complement each other. So universities can only be fully functioning if they value each part of this tripartite mission, the higher education of students, the advancement of knowledge and the service to those outside the university equally. And, you know, it's clear that the idea of contributing to the world outside of the university is a significant part of fully functioning. That emphasises more society-focused research. Universities have kind of been traditionally organised and done their research around around subjects, you know, subject-centred research. Do you think that this society focus around research will become more important in this new era of universities? And, and what strategies would you suggest for universities in doing this? Thank you. That's a really good question, Helen, and sort of two parts to it. I might, I might need a re- reminding to go to the strategies, which are less uh, where my natural sort of scholarly inclination lies. But in terms of thinking, is it important for universities to emphasise society-focused research and how that relates to the, the historical, or at least the last hundred years or so, where there's been huge emphasis on subject-centred excellence and subject-centred research? Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right in saying that where universities are going as they increasingly are recognised as something that contributes to society is society-focused research. We see that already as a significant change in the last 20 or 30 years. The idea of cross-disciplinary and integrative studies has become more and more important, really probably since about the time of the Second World War, when big scientific projects to solve really pressing problems related to the defeat of Nazism led to the foundation of things like systems thinking and the integration of different fields of knowledge to solve what are sometimes known as wicked problems. So this idea of research being focused on delivering value to society has been building momentum. And in the UK, we can see its importance in the rhetoric or the valuing around impact. So since the last major research excellence framework, the measurement of impact, what this research actually does for anybody, and by anybody, we probably would take that as a proxy for society, has become one of the ways that funders of research, uh, those who organise universities and those who metricise universities, such as through the REF, want to see universities contributing more to society. And in terms of our thinking about what a fully functioning university might be like, we think that if universities recognise the importance of their contribution to society, this can have an impact, a beneficial impact, on the other two parts of their fully functioning purpose. So if courses for students include both studying and understanding more about how 
research, development of ideas, learning can contribute to society and also perhaps doing it by having projects that are embedded in the society where part of the goal of the learning for the students is to do something, to give back, to contribute. In the USA, this is already quite a common factor where many colleges have courses that, that are mandatory where students have to do something like volunteering in a local social organisation. I don't know if in the UK it necessarily would look like that, but the idea that what the students are studying might actually benefit the society around them can come to the fore and can help universities to be more fully functioning. And likewise, research increasingly is being expected not to be purely blue skies or theoretical, although I still see that as very important, but to be seen as something that can deliver value back to society. What strategies would you suggest for higher education institutions here? I guess in practical terms, we do think that the the model of the fully functioning university, if it's, if it's seen as a sort of an ideal framework to aspire towards, then it might help to shape strategies that might in practical terms include things like making sure that every degree programme includes some aspect of developing a student's awareness of um, what Nussbaum, a scholar I really like on the idea of the modern university, Nussbaum calls the sort of the global citizen. So students who are studying, having an awareness of the role of their study, their development in contributing to society, whether that's at the macro level, like the increasing importance we all need to place on the environment, or on the social level, like thinking about the contribution to change in historic injustices or on the purely practical level of going out and perhaps volunteering in a society. So I think for strategies for universities, courses that explicitly help students to see how what they're doing is not just about personal self-advancement, earning a higher graduate premium and self-development, but also about being able to more contribute to society. And likewise, strategies for research that say that or that explicitly encourage research that will create value for society. Going back to what you were saying about society-focused research, really beginning around the close of the Second World War, and that's really interesting that that change happened after such a kind of a major disruption, a major global disruption. And obviously, we're experiencing a major global disruption right now with COVID-19. And In a recent paper, you described COVID-19 as a discontinuity. And I loved that because my background is in earth sciences. And there, a discontinuity is a physical abrupt stop or gap in the geologic record that you can physically see and is a result of this kind of dramatic change in the environment. Everything in the system needs to adapt. Like this idea of COVID-19 is a discontinuity in our educational system. What has COVID-19 revealed about the structural issues currently existing institutions? What do these systems need to do to adapt and, and carry on? Thank you. That's, that's a really good question. And I, I'm pleased to bring in the concept of discontinuity, both because it, it is a really interesting concept and perhaps it helps to indicate where some of the value of the fully functioning university model is. So, yes, the significant changes to the way society operates 
to the norms and to the values have been drivers of change in the university through its millennia-long history. Referred earlier to the sort of, you know, once Latin was the primary vocational outcome for students at universities, no longer the case. And we can see that almost as a geological record in what it was that students wanted to get out of going to university. Now, we see many discontinuities in contemporary society. The Marxist geographer Harvey talks about the crises of capitalism and that capitalism goes through a series of crises. And so some of the discontinuities are structural in the way that society organizes itself. Some historical, like the legacy of colonialism and racism and how perhaps a triggering event like the brutal murder of George Floyd and the subsequent recognition of the importance of the Black Lives Matter movement give discontinuities that mean that universities have an opportunity and a mandate to think differently. And so right now in the UK higher education sector, the impact of COVID-19 has meant that many universities are thinking today, in this moment, how can we deliver higher education to students and yet maintain safe social distancing? And this has brought about or has accelerated the move to digitally mediated education. So the digital transformation of higher education is something that I think we are seeing a discontinuity that will leave a profound impact between how universities did their processes of teaching and developing students last year and what it will look like next year. It's really interesting to talk about inequalities in the institution. I mean, these were institutions and learning structures that were designed you know, by white men for white men. And we see that structural inequality persists. Uh, and to be fully functioning, you know, universities need to be for everyone. So what opportunities does this, this disruption of the norm, this discontinuity offer for making the institutions more equitable? Thank you. That's a, that's a really good question, a nice question, one that's valuable to think about. I think that um, it, it is important for those of us who are involved in delivering, developing higher education to recognise the kind of power and privilege we have. And higher education is the inheritor of a legacy that includes, well, at, at its historic roots, the appropriation of Islamic scholarship in the birth of the European university by those who were, I, I think, would have described themselves as crusaders fighting Islam from the perspective of Christendom at the birth of the European university. And in more recent history, the service that science played to the support of the growing machine of capitalism, the uh, rapacious energy of colonialism, and the dominance of white supremacy as a worldview that informs and shapes what is in the curriculum of the university now does mean that a fully functioning university does need to think, as you said, Helen, about inclusion and what is not being said. So particularly 
in response to service to society. The university is in an important position of recognising the value of critical thinking, the role of recognising that there is more than just the argument of the dominant hegemony. So as the world is shaped at the moment by the legacy of the writings of dead white men, it's incumbent on the fully functioning university to think about and to act upon what voices are not part of that dialogue, what stories are not being told, and that that contributes most directly to the the part of the fully functioning university which is in service to society, but it also addresses in important ways what it is that we as universities can do to develop our students, to help them be global citizens aware of historic injustice or the importance of valuing the environment and nurturing and cherishing it, of critiquing the assumptions informed by a funding system which imposes a sort of marketization on what degrees are for and what students do degrees for, and for what research should be about, what questions research should be asking, and what kinds of impact might be valued. And there, the importance of the environment, the importance of historic injustice, uh, the importance of social change, are, are all ways in which the university might contribute and is contributing. My colleague Tom Borner, when I was talking with him about the legacy of dead white men, brought up a, a story that has personal resonance for me, and that is that UK universities 70 years ago didn't award degrees, or some of the premier universities, prestige universities such as Cambridge, didn't award degrees to women until the 1950s. My aunt went to Cambridge in the early 1950s, and I hadn't realised that she would have been one of the first women in the UK who was enabled by that university responding to social change to get a degree where it previously wouldn't have been important or uh, possible. And today... We see a little over half of degrees awarded in the UK going to women. So there is one particular historic injustice that we might hold up and say that the inclusion of women in higher education, being able to get degrees from the elite universities, shows the university becoming more fully functioning as inclusion has grown. Thinking about this tripartite mission and in the higher education of students, Looking at the curriculums, decolonising the curriculums also serves a function there because the makeup of our student body is not just white men. There are some some universities where up to 50% of the, the student cohort is, is non-white. And if you don't have a curriculum that speaks to those students' experiences and speaks to those students' environments, then it's it, the university can't be fully functioning. And also, in thinking about the advancement of knowledge, you know, there's been so many studies we take, we basically, we take white as a universal norm. And if we've taught students that way, we see that replicated in the way that those students go on to, say, do research in academia. And we see so many studies that just are based on, say, in medicine, that are based on white men that have led to issues around medication not being appropriate or seatbelts not being appropriate, different things like that. So I think that inclusion and decolonization addresses addresses all three missions. Thank you. I, yeah, I think that that's a it's a really important point and one that we are rightly 
when I say we, white men or white people who have tended to dominate the positions of power in universities are really needing to become alert to and respond to the idea of decolonizing the curriculum going beyond history, literature and the arts, but that recognizing, as you say, in fields as disparate as medicine, law, and in my own uh, areas of teaching and expertise, things like algorithmic injustice and the way that software systems designed to benefit society, but shaped by a presupposition about what society looks like, lead to shocking, unacceptable inclusions and exclusions. Helen, you referred to the impact of a white-centric view on the world that has led to terrible outcomes in health and health sciences. And I absolutely think that there are important lessons to be learned right now in in the discontinuity of COVID-19 when we think about what the assumptions have been about what safety looks like and who are essential workers in the crisis that the UK has just been through. And then we acknowledge the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on black and other ethnic minority groups in the UK. Or when we think about systems that are being built to support transformation, and here I get into something I know more about, the, the role of digital in education and in decision-making processes, there is so many risks that the algorithmic injustice will perpetuate social injustices because so much of how digital technologies work is based on learning, machine learning from existing systems and the risks there of exclusion in areas like AI and face recognition or the perpetuation of legal precedents that are based on historical injustices means that a fully functioning university that is engaged with research that has benefit to the society and that serves the increasingly diverse student body must address and think about what it means to live in a culture where colonialism and white supremacy have set the tenure, the taste, the text, the legacy of what we think of as the canon, for example. What we do and don't count as valuable knowledge. Absolutely, yes, that, yes. And that's a that's a, um, a good point, actually, about perhaps the students and, and, and how does a fully functioning university support its students in what is inevitably going to be a new era post-COVID? A lot of this is going to be digital, a lot of this is going to be online. Yes, the digital transformation that's been going on in society for the last 15 or 20 or 30 years is being accelerated by the discontinuity of the COVID-19 crisis, but was well underway Anyway, we see it more broadly in things like the transformation of the high street and what it is to have shared social spaces. For our students, a fully functioning university that is digitally transformed is a, both a place of opportunity that a fully functioning university can do more to bring together 
the tripartite mission to help students see that the knowledge they are developing is a resource for society, informed by society, as well as something that can develop their own life opportunities. And yet there is also huge risk. And so I see the fully functioning university as an ideal that needs to be part of how universities think as they approach the oncoming term in October where a digitally transformed curriculum will offer some opportunities for inclusion. There are ways in which the digital transformation of higher education may make it more equitable, may allow voices who sometimes might be drowned out in seminars or not able to attend because of economic or caring responsibilities. I'm thinking here particularly of our black and minority ethnic students who often have economic pressures on them that may not be the norm across uh, all of our student body, there are ways that digital transformation can help and make a more inclusive learning environment. But there are also risks, the digital divide, access to technology, access to quiet and safe study places are not things that we should and can assume are there for all our students. I think that Brings me to another question. What's becoming really clear from um, this discussion is is how important it is to to focus on all three parts of this tripartite mission, and for institutions to keep that mindset. Perhaps you can tell me a bit about what's wrong with the university prioritising just one part of this mission to the exclusion of the other two parts. What's wrong with institutions when they just focus on research, just focus on on, on teaching? I've talked about it as an aspirational model, but I guess the the flip side of an aspirational model is that it can be used as a, a deficit audit or a critique. And when I think about what a fully functioning university can contribute, I see risks if a university emphasises one part of the tripartite mission to the exclusion of the other two. So certainly there are ways in which the funding of higher education might encourage universities to develop a research-led strategy and see research as the primary goal for a university. And where that's the case, if that research doesn't also recognise the importance of the development of students' learning and of a contribution to society, we risk see in research that is measured on a metric that is internally derived from the, the goals of higher education research funding rather than research that is able to develop the university's part in society and contribution to society. Also in a research-led university there's a risk that the student experience will become secondary to the research goals of those academics that are motivated and rewarded for research outputs. And this can lead to a form of higher education for students that doesn't develop them as citizens, doesn't develop them in a way that allows them to contribute to society, but instead is inward-looking and focused on narrow research metrics. Likewise, the move to having universities that are perhaps focused primarily on teaching, that are seen as 
uh, degree awarding bodies, but that are not valued for their contribution to the society around them or not valued for their contribution to the uh, advancement of knowledge, risks having students that don't see that their endeavours, their contribution can lead to the valuable advancement of knowledge that is for the good of all. A very practical example that Tom, one of my fellow authors, and I talk about often is the increase in importance of Wikipedia and that we would like to see universities valuing Wikipedia as something to which students and academics would see it as a normal part of higher education to contribute. Wikipedia is one of those common goods that we can see the advancement of knowledge being generated by society being drawn on and used by society. And if universities only value research as a research output in measured articles in ranked journals, rather than research as something that develops their students' capacity to flourish, to live and contribute in society, then a university risks not really being fully functioning and being part of the society in which it is part. And that's a really good point. The ways that people find information, the ways that people access information and take in information have changed and and the institutions need to adapt to that. I mean, what does the institution need to do to support its academics in, in developing new content types, new ways of learning? How does it support that? The acceleration of digital transformation brought about in the recent moments by COVID-19 means that many academics are having to think thoughts literally like, how do I move my modules and courses online for a safe, socially distanced higher education in the autumn of 2020? What does that mean? And what can universities do to support that and reassure students academics and society, that this will be equitable. It's complex, a wicked question, a wicked problem, and one to which I couldn't aspire to give a, a simple and immediate answer, Helen, but it, it's, a, it's a really important question for the academy, for those in higher education to think about and to perhaps push back against funders and senior policymakers if there's a narrative that says universities are purely an instrument of economic advancement to develop wage-earning individuals who can contribute to the gross national product. Such a narrative misses many of the things that the fully functioning university model aspires to highlight, so the, the contribution, the self-development and the advancement of knowledge. And to get back to content and digital transformation. The digital transformation of higher education offers enormous opportunities for wider access, widening participation, greater inclusion and building a, a common good. So videos that are shared on YouTube, podcasts to get a little self-referential in this moment that are shared on open platforms without cost other than download, massive open online courses, MOOCs, are all ways in which the digital transformation of higher education can bring enormous 
social good. And Wikipedia, I think, is a really powerful example of that, something that is contributed to by people around the world and used by people around the world, um, and yet perhaps is rather undervalued as a form of content within universities currently. It's an area where perhaps the university, if it is to function fully, could engage more with what is the role of digital content, perhaps explicitly content platforms like Wikipedia, as a way of contributing more fully to the advancement of knowledge, contributing more fully to the development of our students and their ability to contribute to the social good and to the society in which our universities are a part. And that's an interesting point. Uh, in this current digital world, we're kind of overwhelmed with information. And 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 rather than thinking about quantity, you know, the, the idea of curation and the idea of having reputation and, and, and trust in the information that you're reading becomes really important. And this is where institutions have an opportunity to really speak to that third part of the tripartite about contributing to society. I like the line of thinking you were going with there, Helen, and it excites me to think that a fully functioning university might help contribute to the broader social needs of a knowledge economy and a knowledge society where the digital transformation of so many of the processes of life, whether it's shopping or dating or traveling or just developing one's own understanding of the world, mediated and enabled on digital platforms that emerged out of research-funded projects, the internet has a legacy that shows how government and universities can develop research projects that contribute to social good and yet also has a fearsome side when we think about the risks that come about by the algorithmic manipulation of emotion and um, communication. So the role of social media in misinformation and disinformation, fake news and the spreading of messages of hate is an enormous problem for society to which curators, custodians, advocates of knowledge. The university has a function in both the development of students who are able to critically evaluate sources of knowledge and contribute to sources of knowledge in the role of research, the dissemination of research, the place of research, not just behind paywalls of academic publishers, but also as a contribution to society through the, you used a very nice term, Helen, of sort of custodians of knowledge. This is something that I think the fully functioning university can and will and must step up to being honest brokers, helpful contributors to an understanding of what knowledge is and what part it can play in society. Institutional leadership has, has quite a large task on their hands in, in driving universities forward to become fully functioning. You know, change is often slow. University systems can be very bureaucratic how do institutional leaderships going to need to kind of react and adapt quickly to a crisis like COVID-19? And in the wake of 
COVID-19, what should institutional priorities for a fully functioning university be? You know, what might a sensible institutional strategy do at this point? The idea of taking part in a discussion of university strategy is one that on one level as an academic, I shy away from. And yet it is important if a university is to fully function, that the development of an idea, like the ideas in our book about the fully functioning university, aren't seen as abstract, but are thought about in the context of what should universities actually do. So I'll I'll have a go at thinking about an institution that wants to develop a more fully functioning role might look like and what it might try to prioritise. And I suppose at the heart of the fully functioning university idea is that each of the three parts of the university's mission support each other rather than dominate each other. And so thinking about how the advancement of knowledge, how provision of higher education of students and how service to the society of which we are part can be realised in university policies would require universities to think about each of those important parts of their mission. What is the research that they are advancing? What is the provision of higher education to their students that they are developing and giving? And what part are they playing in serving society and how they might serve each other? That's a bit waffly. What would that mean in practical terms? It might mean having a role explicit within research departments that looks critically at research projects from the perspective of how might the research serve and contribute to society, but also how might the research serve and contribute to the higher education of students? Are there participant roles that students could play in the research? Might they be part of it? And that then might allow us to think as a university about the type of higher education we are taking part in with our students or providing for our students. Can we develop our students' capacity to do research, not just to draw from textbooks and exist in learning, but to contribute to the advancement of knowledge? And I've mentioned Wikipedia a few times. Tom and I have had some exciting discussions about the idea that undergraduate degree programs might ask students to find something that they could contribute to Wikipedia, perhaps instead of a dissertation. Something like that might be a way to help students to see and to make their higher education not just about developing their own capacity and wage potential and fulfilment, but also a way that they can contribute to the advancement of knowledge and thus to serve in society. And for universities, we sometimes, Tom and I and Linda, think of the third part of the tripartite mission, the services to society, as perhaps the Cinderella or most underdeveloped part of what universities are valuing. And a fully functioning university in its strategy needs to go beyond thinking, how can we show impact in the ref, but instead develop or as well develop ways that that impact actually contributes to the society around it. So thinking about 
research output, student projects, economic engagement that will contribute to society. How can universities best work through the current situation they're in with the uh, mismanagement of the A-level grading, the algorithm, the U-turn on exams and the lifting of caps? Well, that's a very timely question, Helen. And I've been thinking about that issue because it's been dominating the news cycle at the moment. And on some levels, I feel that we should offer a caveat and say that the fully functioning university as a model and as a way of thinking about universities is one where a lot of the strength of the model is that we are taking a long-term view. And that historical perspective is a strength, but also in some ways is a limitation on minute-by-minute news stories. And yet, the UK higher education is going through tremendously fast changes of which this current flip-flop in government policy about grades and who should be admitted does have an impact on what universities will look like this year and maybe next year and perhaps help us to think a little bit about the more general trend toward a marketization of higher education as a consumer product with consumer protections. So this flip-flop in policy about who can come to university has got something to help us think about what is long-term in the university and what is to do with a current neoliberal turn in how higher education is viewed. If we say that right now it looks like more students than might have been expected are going to go to university because policy changes have meant that a number of students' grades are higher than they'd thought they would be recently. We think that the fully functioning university, as a model of what universities are about, is able to offer a sort of encouragement from that change. And we think that if more students, through a quirk of fate, are able to go to university this year, this will mean that the students gain benefit. Although there are some arguments that would say that cultural capital is a finite resource, in the kind of knowledge economy we're in, the more people who enter the uh, labour market with a degree, the better their sort of individual life chances. So the development of the student, if those who might not have got in under a more punitive system do get into university this year, that's good for them and for their life chances. And then if we think of universities as a body vested in the advancement of knowledge, more students engaging with what higher education is, leaving university with advanced learning, developing their aptitude and ability to learn, is advancing the application, use and access to knowledge in society. And so it's difficult to see that as not positive for the students and for knowledge. And then if we think about the tripartite, the third part of the mission to benefit society, if we see this year as a year in which more students go through the higher education process, come out with an appreciation and ability to access knowledge and a development of what we might call their new vocational capabilities, their ability to learn and to enhance their ability to learn, we see that as benefit in society. 
I was talking with my fellow author, Tom Bourne, this afternoon, and he told me an, a story which I'd like to share. It's, I'll be very brief, but a scholar, Christopher Bull, was talking at Sussex University about the expansion of higher education. It was some years back, and I think he might have been suggesting, imagine if 20% of the population went to uh, university. Would that be a good thing? 30%, he asked his audience. Who amongst you would be bold enough to say that over half the population could go to university? And then he, his sort of punchline, his denouement was 85% of the sons of doctors go to university. And if we think about what that implies for the rest of the population, I, I thought that was a nice image of why it's really a good thing if whatever the government shenanigans have gone through leads to more students coming out in, with degrees in years to come. And something that seems really clear to me from the reaction of academics, people who need to deliver the teaching and, and solve some of these logistical issues that they've been presented, is that they really do want to deliver on these three parts of the mission. It's really important to them. They want to serve their communities. They want to deliver the best teaching they can to advance knowledge the best they can. I think academics are in a really difficult position right now. How do they hold on to those missions, those values? Well, I mean, it is a difficult position, but it's a position that for most of my colleagues at the University of Brighton, we're viewing it with gusto. So it is what we want to do. And the incredible increase in the proportion of the population that goes to university is, I think, largely viewed as a good thing by those who are involved in the university sector. There are opportunities that we've talked about earlier in this podcast about the sort of digital transformation of teaching that is meaning that alongside the logistical challenges of more students are logistical challenges of social distancing in relation to COVID-19, for example, that seem to present almost the perfect storm for saying that how universities provide and respond to those three parts of the tripartite mission is changing. And for my part, it's something I welcome. Thank you, Asha, for joining us today for that really interesting discussion. Thank you. Next week, Daniel will be speaking to author Debbie Haskell-Leventhal about her new book, The Purpose Driven University. So join us then.